Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words. In this episode, we visit with Dr. Augustus White III, co-author of Overcoming, Lessons in Triumphing Over Adversity and the Power of Our Common Humanity, a collection of real-life profiles of men and women united by the theme of overcoming adversity. After the collective trauma America experienced during the coronavirus pandemic, Dr. White was motivated to introduce us to everyday individuals whose grit, determination, and resilience serve as an inspiration to make it to the other side of this crisis. Arne Duncan, former Secretary of Education under President Barack Obama, had this to say about the book. In overcoming, Dr. Gus White has fashioned a timely and terrific treatment of the human condition, an instructive roadmap for negotiating one of the most perilous periods in American history, a prescription of hope for an ailing nation beset by racial and ethnic disharmony and a pandemic that has struck us at our most vulnerable core, an inspiring journey certain to lift spirits and help us all to overcome. My name is Landis Wade, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm a recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories, and I really appreciate you being here with us today. You can find out more about me at my author website, LandisWade.com, and I'd love to have you visit. For all things related to the podcast, check out CharlotteReadersPodcast.com. You can find a lot of great resources there. We have show notes of every episode with pictures of the authors, photographs of their book covers, links to their websites and social media, and more. And we have the community blog there. It's a collection of readerly and writerly content provided by writers in the community and authors who've been on the show. And you can sign up for the book report at our website, charlottereadspodcast.com. We send it out every two weeks. It's free. We don't spam you. That takes way too much time. We just keep you updated on what's going on with the podcast, provide a dose of inspiration, provide some free content from time to time, some links and other fun stuff related to the uh, reading and writing world. We're a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, a collection of author-hosted podcasts putting out uh, this kind of content to a worldwide audience. And you can find us pretty much anywhere you like to listen to your podcast. You can also check out our Patreon page. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. This is a place where we provide exclusive content uh, for our supporters. For just a few dollars a month, we provide access to exclusive audio interviews between me and authors who have appeared on the show where they share their wisdom about uh, writing and the business of writing. It's a great way to get a good education if you're a lifelong learner like I am. But enough with this prologue. Let's meet today's author. Gus, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, so happy to have you. And uh, I understand that you're coming to us from uh, Weston, Massachusetts, which you say is a small town outside of Boston? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Well, before we get into your uh, book, which I really enjoyed, um, I want to talk to you a little bit about your your past. And, and uh, you, you've received many awards. Uh, you, you were there are a number of firsts in your life. You're the first African-American medical student at Stanford. You're the first black surgical resident at Yale, the first black professor of surgery at Yale, the first black chief of service at a Harvard teaching hospital. And you've been called the Jackie Robinson 
of orthopedics, which I love that. <laughs> I love that. So how does it feel to be called the Jackie Robinson of orthopedics? Well, first of all, I'm, I'm way out of my league. Uh, <laughs> when you put me uh, in juxtapose me with Jackie Robinson, and uh, I don't mean that just in terms of our relative athletic skills, but <laughs> just our prominence and our names. Uh, clearly, he is a real icon. But uh, I, I, I'll take whatever I can get. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I, I admire him I, I, greatly. And uh, uh, so it, it, it's inspiring and it's, it's sort of fun. You know, I, I, I don't mean any harm, doesn't do anybody any harm. It makes me feel good. And uh, it, it is a challenge some, somehow to be visibly the first in these situations and they carry their stress. And they certainly carry their, their, their satisfaction and their gratification. And I've had the good fortune to uh, you know, meet, meet a lot of people along the way. Uh, and I tend to be a bit of a hero worshiper anyway. I mean, I have a long list of people that, that really inspire me, you know, and, uh, and I, I identify with them just enough to get that added uh, inspiration. You know, Muhammad Ali is an example. Malcolm X is an example. Uh, Bobby Kennedy is an example. A, num a number of my, my, my colleagues and a number of my mentors as I've come along through medical school, uh, I, I, I have peer mentors. And uh, so, so it, it, it's kind of natural and it feels good to, to get a chance to be connected a little bit with uh, Jackie Robinson. Well, that's nice. Did you? So, what was your sport growing up? Well, my sports were boxing, uh, football, wrestling, lacrosse, and I, and almost tennis. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I tried tennis. I like tennis a lot. But um, my stepfather uh, was a boxing coach, and at a young age, I, I enjoyed learning a lot about boxing from him. And then the other sports I just did in the normal course of things. You know, I played uh, football in high school and in college. And I, I wrestled in high school and college and played lacrosse. Uh, lacrosse was not a sport down in Memphis, but I learned in prep school. Uh, I went to Northfield Mount Hermon School and uh, was able to be on the lacrosse team there and really enjoyed that a, a great deal. Speaking of athletes, I, I couldn't get connected as publicly as I would have liked, but I played lacrosse against Jim Brown in prep school. <laughs> wow. Jim That's Brown, I, I don't know if you know that, but he was an excellent lacrosse player, probably as good if not better in lacrosse than even his other sports. That's that's interesting because uh, I played college football, and in the spring of my senior year, I didn't have any, I didn't have spring practice, so I saw these guys throwing this ball around with a little stick and I walked over and said, what are y'all doing? And so we're, we're playing lacrosse as a club team. And I said, well, can I join? And I did. And the first game I ever saw was the first lacrosse game I, I played in. <laughs> so, so, and, and so like you, I played midfielder. It was a lot of fun, but uh, yeah. Okay. We digressed a little bit there. Let's jump back on topic here. Uh, this book that you wrote, you talked about, uh, you know, always being kind of a hero worshiper. And, and in effect, the, the people that you write about in this book, are heroes uh, as well. Is that kind of what led you into this idea of writing uh, a book uh, to, to support these stories? Well, yeah, I think that would be part of it. I uh, Heroes and, and mentors 
I, I feel like I learned a lot from, from other people uh, as I traveled. And, and again, part of it was, first of all, there would be someone, I guess, that I admired and respected. And then I would, I, I would uh, sort of seek the truth in what they were saying. And if it made sense to me, I would, I would absorb that and, and, and live by it and, uh, and be helped by it. Uh, and, and I think, so I admired things when I saw them. And, and I guess it was just kind of a natural evolution of that, that particular characteristic. And, uh, and I think the other, the other, the other characteristic was that I, uh, I think that I, I just, I like people, I enjoy people and to see them be successful and try to share their success with others, I think was what, was what I like. And then of course, the thing that, uh, you have recognized and pointed out uh, also is this idea of our common humanity and how that resonates uh, with these ideas of, of success and being able to be uh, resilient uh, and, and, and use these characteristics and as they're exemplified by others, uh, help us to, to do it in, in, in our own lives. Yeah. We're going to talk, we're going to talk more about those themes and also about some of the specific uh people that you followed in this book before before we do that um you've overcome some adversity in your life too you you grew up uh in the jim crow era um uh in, in memphis and and i was just wondering I'm, I'm sure you faced some prejudices yourself growing up how that uh affected you what you saw and how that uh, sort of drove your life experience yeah well yeah it it uh, the environment of memphis uh I was in a culture which I, I call it kind of a middle class culture. But when I say that, I mean middle class African American, and, and that's not the same as middle class as we, we learn in the in the sociology textbooks of the overall dominant culture. But it was uh, it was a culture that emphasized education. It emphasized uh, what the person was doing, as 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 I would hear it, as we would hear it. What are you doing for the race? You know, you you're you're at uh, you're elevating the the respect of the race, or you're detracting from from the respect. And so, what are you doing? And so, I would that was the theme. the The people I associated with were uh, friends of my parents and their kids. Who they were they were school teachers, they were ministers, they were physicians. And, and, and so we heard that a lot. And they were the people, as I said, the, the people who were admired, the teachers and so forth. Uh, so I just picked up on that and it became part of my persona was to, to do what I could to uh, uh, move forward for justice and, and to move forward for pushing back against uh, the, the oppressions of race. So I didn't have, uh, you know, I was never accosted by police. Uh, I never had that experience, uh, and uh, I did have some little issues. I worked uh, as as a as a car hop in a drive-in movie for a period of time, and the movie was uh, a, a, a white movie. But we had uh, the, there were several of us who were black kids, and we we worked there. We sold cokes, and we went from car to car. And um, I had some conflicts there with. Uh, some of the white people in the in the in the vicinity, and some of the people who worked there, 
but it was not, nothing, you know, nothing horrible, nothing compared to, you know, what it could be and what we see, unfortunately. Uh, so I had sensitivity and I had uh, racial uh, pushback and I was taught to, to push back and to, to try to do the right thing and to try to support uh, justice and equality. Yeah. And on that uh, on that point here, you know, you're, you're raised in this environment where there's this separateness going on. And, and on the cover of your book, Overcoming, uh, I notice that there um, are two hands that are clasped. It looks like one uh, hand of a person of color and one uh, potentially a white hand is two hands coming together, two different races clasping hands together. Talk about the symbolism of these clasped hands and how that ties into the theme of your book. Well, it's, uh, it ties in in the sense that uh, it represents my belief and my hope and my experience of, uh, call it anything, but allyship, if you will, where people of, of different races and ethnicities can uh, come together and can work together as allies to do the right thing. Uh, and it, uh, you know, the right thing is no big secret. It's we have a propensity to know what's right, but it isn't always so easy to do. And uh, I think uh, that the symbol of the potential of overcoming uh, can be greatly achieved uh, by allyship, by working with people across racial and ethnic and gender barriers. To, to look for the right thing and, and to recognize that it's in all of our collective best interests as fellow human beings to do the right thing. And, and, and it's, it's a win-win situation rather than a lose-lose situation. Mm -hmm. And I've had a little bit of experience with uh, war and with the military and, uh, and thinking about these things and observing these things and spending a year as a combat surgeon in Vietnam uh, one of the things I learned, and uh, it, uh, it, it in some way symbolizes, again, these, these hands of different color coming together. And that is, I believe that in wars, there are no winners. There are only losers and greater losers. There are no winners. You don't win a war. You, you, you can't... You, I even checked with my buddies at West Point. I said, am I crazy? Am I right? Can you tell me of a war where one side only won and didn't lose anything? And uh, am I crazy to say this? There's no such thing as a war where there are winners. It's just losers and greater losers. Uh, so I believe that. And I think that we, we need to strive to have win-win rather than lose-lose situations around issues of war. And I think those hands is the one way of, of sort of symbolizing the, the desirability of trying to relate our common humanity in a way that it's a win-win rather than lose and a great greater loser. That's very, very well said. I'm wondering also, is there any symbolism? Because it looks like there's a hand reaching down to grab another hand and, and it's it's the it's the black hand reaching down to grab and pull the white hand up. Is there any symbolism there? Well, uh, we could talk for half an hour about the cover <laughs> yeah. and, and, and about the debates about the cover. <laughs> and uh, between 
my various people that influenced me and that I care about and I learned from, my wife and my daughter, and we went back and forth, and they didn't like it, and they liked it, and they, <laughs> which hand was up and which hand was down, went on and on. So we just settled for the fact that it was mixed, <laughs> and, and, and it tried to rep- at least I did tried to represent uh, uh, our common humanity and, and various iterations of that, and the fact that in overcoming, we need to try to be collaborative and mutually respectful and seek a win-win situation. Yeah, that's great. We're going to talk uh, more about the, uh, the some of the antidotes, the stories that are in the book, and. Uh, uh, explore some more of these things. But before we do that, uh, part of Charlotte Rear's podcast is having authors give voice to the written words. And you've got a reading. It's from your your prologue. It's some bits and pieces from that section that you're going to share with us. So uh, anytime you're ready, uh, Gus, if you would read that for us, we'd love to hear it. Okay. Well, I I, I appreciate uh, your 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 contribution to that in terms of uh, giving me some selection, uh, and it it was an excellent. Uh, uh, recommendation. So I, I am ready, and uh, let me gather myself here, and I will read. My fellow humans, the pioneering Black physical anthropologist, physician, and civil rights leader, Dr. Montague Cobb, used to begin all of his speeches with that salutation my fellow humans. In this day, medical and scientific audiences rarely heard addresses from black scientists. Dr. Cobb's, quote, my fellow humans was a greeting, but it was also an announcement. He was acknowledging the listeners in front of him as fellow humans. By the same token, he was reminding them that he was their fellow human. I've adopted Dr. Cobb's, my fellow humans, salutation for my own speeches as a homage to both his greatness and the virtual nature of the message the phrase imparts. Because we are better and stronger together than we are apart. The nature of people coming together for a common good seems ever so far-fetched in these tribal times we experience at present, where we allow what separates us to define us far more than what bonds us together. I, for one, refuse to accept that. If I've learned nothing else in my many years as a surgeon, It's that everyone's the same when you open them up and one man bleeds the same as another. These last four years, the last one in particular in our society, in our culture today, have been a trying experience for Americans on both sides of the political spectrum. Indeed, we have too often lost track of the various traits that makes the good great and the great even better. And what that is, is our common humanity. Most of us at some point will be struck 
by one or more major traumas, violent crime, domestic violence, rape, child abuse, a serious automobile accident, the sudden death of a loved one, a debilitating disease, a natural disaster, or war. This is a quote from Southwick and Charney, and they wrote, if you are lucky, then you have never encountered any of these misfortunes, but most likely you will someday. It is estimated that up to 90% of us will experience some of them during our lives, 90%. That makes adversity a more prevalent malady than even the common cold and far more difficult to treat. There is no single prescription that can cure the ills or even relieve uh, the symptoms. But there is one well-proven treatment for adversity, our common humanity that binds us together and instinctively leads us to want to help one another. My ninth decade of life has left me humbled with a deeper respect and appreciation for those who have overcome more than I have currently and at least as much as I did as a boy emerging from the Black South. I rely on a walker for support these days, but that walker might just as well be the broad shoulders of those who boosted me up when I needed it the most. Physical therapists helped me to walk again, just as men like my stepfather and Dr. Jones, Vincent Campbell, and Tony Davis helped me to learn how to run, both literally and figuratively. No one succeeds in a vacuum. No one makes it alone. And a truly great joy of life is celebrating our common humanity that has the potential to make each and every one of us better. We are all so much more similar than different. Our humanness is greater than our cultural differences. Our differences in status or rank or racial differences in the final analysis, we are just simply all fellow human beings. And that's what the ensuing chapters are going to demonstrate in stark fashion. You are about to meet a diverse group of people. No two stories are the same, but in a cumulative sense, they offer hope through any number of ways and perspectives our humanity translates into resilience. All of our subjects faced adversity and found a way to overcome it, benefited from the bonds of our common humanity that unite us all. Indeed, my fellow humans, as Woody Guthrie famously sang in his classic song, John Henry, a man ain't nothing but a man. Well, well said. 
I really like this line where adversity is more prevalent malady than the common cold and even more difficult to, to, to cure, <laughs> uh, to treat. And then uh, you talk about uh, we're all so much more similar than we are different. And you mentioned uh, your own personal uh, adversity. You suffered a stroke uh, and you've had to deal with that adversity. How has your journey been in that regard? Lucky. Uh, I've, I've uh, you know, I've been able, I don't know how, what percentage of uh, my uh, capabilities uh, have remained. In other words, am I 92% as as okay as I was before the stroke, or am I 99% or am I 65%? I don't really know. I don't really worry about it. I just am happy that I can do a, a lot of the things that I want to do. And, uh, and, and I focus on that and I do that. And uh, I, I don't feel, you know, depressed or discouraged or uh, I just keep, keep moving. And, uh, and that's, that's, that's my plan, you know, and uh, if I can just, uh, uh, you know, get a, get a, a good enough lawyer to get my wife and my daughter to let me continue to work, uh, I'll continue <laughs> to work a little bit, but <laughs> I may have to make a decision as to whether I'll do that inside the family or outside the family. <laughs> but no, they, they, they mean the best for me and they are helping me tremendously to continue and, and not, you know, my, my professional colleagues as well. So, uh, I, I'm going to slow down and, uh, but, uh, my plan is to try to continue to do a few things. There are a few things that, uh, that I want to try to push, push agenda for a little bit as we go forward. Yeah, that's great. And, um, you know, guess you raise a number of questions in this book. Um, you raised a number of questions in this book. How do we cope? Where can we find the resilience to overcome the changes that are forced upon us? What might our future look like? You know, how to deal with trauma. And you have a conclusion section. We're going to come back and talk about some of these stories, but I just want to talk about these themes for a minute. You you, you address these issues of how do you survive? How do you learn? How do you overcome? And you mentioned four or five different things in this conclusion. I'd just like to talk about those for a second. Sure. Uh, one of them you mentioned is having a purpose, living a purposeful life. Talk about that. Yeah, well, um, of course, uh, it gives you a target. Uh, it gives you an incentive. It's gratifying. You know, if you say, here's here's what I want to try to do, and, and here's why I want to try to do it, and so let me try. And to the extent that, that you feel like uh, – it, it's worked, whatever it was, whatever you're pushing, whatever it might be, um, is, is, is very gratifying and gives the incentive uh, to keep going. And, and I think that that's just part of our human nature. We, we want to, our, uh, is it our amygdala, our uh, philanthropic brain? Uh, that part of our brain actually pushes us uh, in the direction to, to do the right thing. And so to the extent that we can grasp that and, and, and utilize that, it, it will be satisfying to you and, and to your fellow humans and to other people, so to say. I, I agree. And I think, you know, people struggling with trying to figure out 
what they're going to do in their act three after they've had a career all their lives, you know, find something that's purposeful, find something you can put your yourself into that you can think can do good for others. And, uh, you know, if you're doing, you're not thinking as much, you're doing, <laughs> So, you know, uh, another, another thing you mentioned, uh, is empathy. Talk about how empathy might be helpful to the survival. That's a very important word and a very important, uh, uh, reality and ideal to strive for, uh, and it empathy it helps the helpy, but it helps the helper uh, as much, if not more. And actually, as, as you as you exercise it and you see it and you benefit from it or you contribute through it, um, it really is. Uh, as one of my colleagues uh, connected the dots, it's really a form of love. And um, people, for example, there's a, there are studies that show that uh, when a doctor expresses some empathy, uh, clearly uh, the patient is more gratified, the patient does better, the patient feels better, the doctor feels better, the burnout is less in, in doctors who offer some empathy. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's part of the equilibrium, the equation, I, I guess, of, our, of our, our common humanity. And uh, we, we encourage, when we sort of talk about uh, healthcare disparities and providing equitable care, we encourage the doctor to, quote unquote, humanize the patient. Uh, show some, just take, a, even if you just talk about the weather, you know, everybody experiences the weather. Everybody uh, talks about the weather. If you just can have a common identity around the, the weather, the latest baseball score, but in just a little, a, a, a minute, just to let the patient know that you recognize him or her as a fellow human, as another human being. Uh, some of my colleagues have even, uh, uh, talk about addressing patients, you know, saying, good morning, my fellow human, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, uh, so, but it does show uh, satisfaction, less burnout on the part of physicians, and is the thing worth considering and worth thinking about, and empathy is very, very important. Well, as to that one point, I noticed that over the over my years, and I'm in my 60s now, Originally, doctors took a lot of time. They did get to know you. Now they're under a lot of pressure from from the people they work for and the insurance companies, you know, to kind of get in there and get the job done and get out. And so those that really take that little bit of time, even if it's, as you say, a couple of minutes to to personalize and have a little conversation, it does kind of relax the patient a little bit in that process. Well, let, let's do this. Empathy is one of the things um, that comes to mind when you think about the stories in this book, because, you know, if you haven't experienced these things, you, you see what these people are going through. And, and if you try to think about, you know, you being in their situations, uh, maybe it gives you a better perspective on how good you really have it because you tackle a number of uh, a number of circumstances in this book. I mean, you, if you look at the table of contents, you've got uh, you've got uh, sexual abuse. Uh, you have people who are suffering, uh, you know, physical illnesses at birth, you know, with Down syndrome, you've got accidents that happen. This guy who slammed as a wrestler 
spinal cord injury, but then comes back from that somehow miraculously. You've got cancer, you've got different things, but then there are a couple of uh, examples that you use that are doctors, one of whom is, uh, speaking of empathy, Tom Katina, who has sort of embedded himself in a part of the world that not many people know anything about. And I think they said, how did he even get here? I hope he doesn't leave. Talk about Tom Katina a minute and what he, what he does. He's amazing. He's been awarded the Aurora Prize uh, as an honor, as a recognition. It's an amazing honor, an amazing recognition, and a precursor to the Nobel Prize, <laughs> quote unquote, some people think. Uh, that's not official in any way. But he is amazing. I mean, he as a, as a physical... <laughs> specimen able to do the amount of clinical work that he does, the amount of surgery that he does, the amount of care that he gives under tremendous uh, circumstances and the stamina. I I mean, I don't know how he does the amount of work that he does, but he he obviously has tremendous support and and well-coordination. It must have superb management of of the nurses and the others who who help them and work with him, and uh, it's it's of interest in terms of his overall humanity, even his uh, decision to marry one of the uh, nurses who's a, a native of African, a, a mixed marriage, if you will, and uh, she works with him and they work very well together, and she sort of keeps him. You know, gives them a little spark of uh, encouragement and enthusiasm to stay with some of the, not just the huge medical problems. They had problems of financing, paying their employees and all. But it's just a marvelous example of tremendous amount of work, physical and mental and emotional, being being done by this fantastic individual. And he just, he's there and he just keeps going, apparently. Yeah, and just to provide some perspective, it's in it's near the Nuba Mountains in Sudan, and he yeah. is the only doctor for 400 square miles. Yeah. Uh, and so that is quite, uh, you know, the adversity there, of course, is the environment and what he's facing and trying to do it, you know, all alone. Now, from a different perspective, uh, you, you wanted to highlight another person in the book, Claudia Thomas. Uh, she like you as a first uh, in terms of an African-American and uh, I think first African-American woman and orthopedic surgeon. But then she suffered, I guess, through a hurricane and then a subsequent cancer diagnosis with her kidneys. And tell tell a little bit about her story and what you what you know about her. Well, I had the the privilege and the pleasure of knowing Claudia pretty well. I actually uh, we worked together at Yale for a number of years. Uh, when she was in her training as an orthopedic surgeon there, and I was a young faculty member there. And I got to know her then, and we actually worked together in a number of the issues of uh, diversity and inclusion, uh, getting more people, women and underrepresented minorities involved in the orthopedic profession. And Claudia is quite amazing. She's a woman of tremendous faith uh, and has overcome tremendous uh, difficulties, medical, uh, horrendous medical challenges and uh, emotional challenges as well. And uh, has just, uh, as as I said, a a person of great faith 
and uh, a, a close relationship with, with, with spiritual issues as she has overcome tremendous adversities. And, and she's uh, very intolerant of, 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 of people who are disrespectful uh, of others and aggressive microaggressions, if you will, uh, that women experience and that women of color uh, particularly experience. And she's quick to uh, try to support uh, these individuals and also to, uh, to address the, those who are perpetrating some of these uh, microaggressions. And she, she will uh, try to address that too and, and offer some pushback uh, in that setting. Uh, and she continues to do these things. She's a leader within the uh, uh, orthopedic community, both the general orthopedic community, but also the underrepresented uh, minority uh, uh, groups. Um, yeah, and so she, when she was asked the question, how did she make it? She said she couldn't really explain it, although her story uh, has faith built into it, which is one of the other um, I think sort of common denominators that you found uh, for people that, you know, survive and learn to, you know, overcome. Um, when you think about uh, all these people, Gus, in this book and, and what they've gone through, um, you mentioned common humanity. Of course, some things, uh, you, you know, can't be solved necessarily by empathy because you might have a physical condition that takes a medical intervention and maybe some hope and a prayer and a miracle and so forth and so on. But, but the, the, the common humanity piece, um, is this idea one where, you know, no man is an Island, you know, we're all in this together. Uh, if someone is suffering, others can lend a hand and help them get through it. Uh, maybe they don't survive, but they get through that part that's most difficult weighing on their weighing on their souls and their minds. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's our reality. It's the reality of the world. It, it's, uh, I don't think it's, it's, it's very debatable. If, if you just look, it, it's there. And uh, I think what we hopefully can do with it though, is by, by, by recognizing it and, and allowing ourselves to, uh, Sort of interact with these attitudes and and with these uh, uh, opportunities that that our common humanity offers us, that we can uh, survive better and, than without them, and uh, it can really help us oftentimes to to transcend. I mean, some people come out of these things uh, with a a more enriched life. They come out stronger. They come out uh, healthier. They come out more able to do their work, or they find new, new, uh, new lives that they can uh, live and enjoy and be be productive. So I, I think it to the extent that people can be reminded of these natural opportunities uh, and and look to sort of take advantage of them, uh, it, it will give them an opportunity to to improve their quality of life and to contribute more to the quality of life of, of, of others, of their fellow humans as they, as they interact. Yeah, and I saw that theme in the book, this idea of reinventing yourself. It happened with uh, Herman Williams when he yes. suffered a, a heart condition and couldn't continue in his profession, but he, he did something else. I think Claudia did 
did that as well to, to, to move forward. Hey, I got a few questions I want to talk about relating to the writing life, because when you wrote this book, it's not easy to take on a task like this to write a book. And you did it with, with several co-authors. And I think our listeners might be interested to know how that process worked uh, with you working with uh, a couple of co-authors in terms of the planning and the writing and how you work together. Yeah, well, it. I think we work together basically because we uh, have mutual respect uh, and uh, for the for ourselves and and each other. And uh, I think that was that would probably be the major element. And we and we had the desire to uh, to uh, do some good, you know, to to. Uh, to, uh, I mean, they're they're both professional writers. I'm a amateur writer and a you know orthopedic surgeon, <laughs> uh, and uh, but we all wanted to do some good, and uh, uh, we were able to uh, recognize, uh, I think, what what we could each contribute, and and how it could best uh, come together. Yeah, and your co- your co-authors will just name them John Land and David uh, Chenoff, and then you had a forward to the book by Coach uh, oh, uh, yeah. K. Coach Shashevsky. Uh, how did that yeah. come about? Well, it, it was good good luck. Uh, we uh, we we I, I was very friendly with Coach Amica, who's a protege. He's a Harvard basketball coach, uh, African American, outstanding uh, coach, well recognized in, in the field, and uh, he. It's kind of a protege of Coach K. And so Coach K kind of knew about us and what we were doing. It had some interest. And it was just a spontaneous thing initially. And so, but we've tried to get him involved. And we, we're looking at maybe doing some other things uh, around that. Uh, one of the things being allyship. You know, how do, how do people of different ethnicities and races and genders work together to achieve certain ideals by being allies. And uh, uh, that certainly uh, applies in no small degree to athletic teams. You know, you want to maximize your allyship uh, on a team and you want to have mutual respect and appreciation, understanding, et cetera. Anyway, so common human interests, common interests in humanity uh, sort of, uh, we recognize that Coach K had some some interest in that. So we, we, we brought him in and asked him to sort of collaborate with us a little bit. And who knows what more we might do with that. But that's, that's sort of the way that happened. That's great. So uh, as we wrap this up, and thank you for spending so much time today with us on this uh, topic. But as we wrap this up, as you say, you're in your ninth decade. Given all you've experienced here, um, what you've learned from all these persevering people who had some very difficult circumstances uh, that you discussed in the book, uh, what what uh, kind of parting message would you say to those out there who are going through some form of adversity right now? I guess the first would be to try to look around and see if there is someone, some resource, um, either either a, a club, an organization, an institution, uh, uh, a clinic any sort of institutionalized, uh, organized resource that, that says, call us 
and 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 see if we can help you. I would say look around for that and and give that a try. Reach out to that and do the same thing with other fellow humans that you know, uh, of the people you know, whether it's a friend, whether it's your minister, whether it's your your coach, or whether it's your wife, or whether it's your whomever you can think of who who may have the have been successful in some way, who whom you admire for some reason, uh, who's a, a human being who, who who may be empathetic and may be willing to help you and and reach out to them. Uh, and then um uh, so, so look for look for some any institutionalized outlet uh, con- connection, any individual outlook or connection, and then um, there are things written. You know, there there's the uh, Southwick and Charney book that makes uh, uh, suggestions. They 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 interviewed a, n- a number of people with post traumatic stress syndrome who were in Vietnam. Uh, in prison, and they looked at ways that those individuals uh, tried to combat uh, their their uh, stress and their uh, difficulty. And uh, they came out with a list of maybe ten things that characterize those individuals. You know, they things like making sure they exercise, um, looking at spiritual issues, looking at possible ways for for help. But but. Be sure that if you make an outreach to some institutional help or some individual help, that you can find it. There's no guarantee that you know in, in the next day you're going to be cured of all your problems, but there's no question that you can be helped and it can be improved. So make an effort. Reach out to institutions, organizations, clinics, or and or individuals that uh, that you may be able to identify and give it a try and, and explore it and, yeah, and read anything yeah. <laughs> and read our book. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say, and you also read the inspirational stories that are in overcoming uh, lessons and triumphing over adversity and the power of our common humanity. Um, Gus, uh, this has uh, been a great uh, time with you today. I want to, I want to thank you for being a part of Charlotte Rivers podcast and sharing your story. Well, I appreciate the privilege. I've enjoyed it. I think you've done a great job of, of focusing on the issues. And uh, I, I appreciate your guidance. It's been fun to work with you. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice, because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast.
Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.